And welcome to episode, let's see, this is going to be 218? Is that uh, where we're at? I think no, I think we're at this, 219. This is 219, but we're releasing them out of order. <laughs> That's right. So for those listening to this out of order, you are not mishearing us. We are going to record episode 219 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, The Objects to Observe in the May 22 Night Sky edition. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. I see this week is International Astronomy Week. And that uh, I think Saturday is, is the International Day of Astronomy. Any big plans? Yeah, just observe as much as I can. We finally have clear skies. I plan on being outside every night if I if I can. Um, not just because it's clear, but also because we're approaching our perpetual twilight in June. Mm. So like every every day that passes now, we get less and less dark skies. So I want right. to be out as much as I can. How about how about you? I'm gonna go on the slide. Yeah. No, it's okay. very exciting. Yeah. No, I'm not actually. It's neat. I mean, it, I, I'm just really not sure what what having this sort of annual day accomplishes. To be perfectly frank, like, well, I think um, it galvanizes like a lot of clubs. Like a lot of clubs will do yeah. public outreach on that day. Um, so you know, I think that that's a good thing. But for sort of John Q. Astronomer, it just is another day to observe. Yeah, I wish I had like a little flag I could like hold up and with like sort of a sad face or something. Yeah, all good. Uh, let's see. Comet Pan Stars. We're not going to talk about it much this this episode because we don't know what's going to happen with Comet Pan Stars yet. Uh, you were looking up uh, as as we were recording the past episode, and uh, it seems indeterminate if if it's survived or will survive its close uh, path to to the sun. But it's supposed to be getting close to Earth now. I think it was supposed to get within 0.6 AU of the Earth. Yeah, yeah. So this will be a, a what's referred to as a sun grazer, meaning it, it gets quite close to the sun. If it survives getting close to the sun, um, it will slingshot back out to the solar system. Um, but also getting that close to the sun may make it flare up to a very bright comet with a tail, uh, potentially. But with these sun grazers, they're um, impossible to predict the survival. Um, when they get that close to the sun, sometimes they can be sucked right into the sun because of the intense gravity. Uh, other times what happens is just with the heat and the gravity, uh, the comet essentially sort of blows up into multiple small pieces uh, or fragments. So if any of that happens, you really don't know what you get when the, the comet comes around uh, from that close encounter. So we just wait and see. Uh, it has potential to be amazing, but the most likely outcome is disappointment. So, <laughs> so we shall see. Set your expectations low. Yes, that would be my. That's my recommendation. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I see it was supposed to be passing by Mercury towards the end of April, and we're recording this on May first, so. Yeah, I would have thought that somebody might have picked it up by now if it was going to be like super, super bright. And uh, it makes me think that it, it is not. Yeah, if it does brighten up, like this could become a naked eye comet. So for anybody who loves looking at comets, just kind of keep a watch on this one. If it flares up, it'll it'll flare up very quickly. 
Um, and then, you know, you, you don't know how long that will last for either. So um, be ready to observe it if it does survive its close encounter and, and turns into a real bright comet. Yeah, because it is supposed to be closer to the beginning of the month. So I stuck this on top yeah, yeah. instead of instead of going down below. So yeah, yeah and, and we'll keep talking about it in upcoming episodes just because it is an object of interest. So, you know, next week when we record our two weekly episodes, we'll we'll tell you what we know at that point. Yeah, I kind of think if we don't know anything by eighth when we record the next set, then uh, there won't be anything to talk about. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. And I think you were saying Don McColtz, uh, who or McColtz, who we spoke with uh, a few weeks back. Uh, he was he was skeptical. He was in the probably not so bright, probably going to get eaten by the sun camp. Yeah, yeah, and you know Don knows an awful lot about uh, comets and. Um, he has his podcast looking up with Don, uh, which I was listening to and, you know, his, his, uh, his position on this was sort of wait and see, but yeah, most of these sun grazers, uh, just don't survive uh, their close encounter. So, um, yep. we just wait and see. Yep. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. We've got some uh, real neat planets. Uh, I think you can see just about all the planets these days, just about, mm-hmm. and, uh, they're, they're lining up with the moon and different things. I know Jim sent us some photos. Uh, that we talked about in the episode we just recorded before this, which will come out after this, strangely enough. Um, but on May 2nd, uh, which is tomorrow, which is when we'll release this on our feed, um, we're going to have Mercury 1.5 degrees north of the moon. Yeah, yeah. So, Chris, too, just to maybe qualify, I think all of the planets we'll talk about are visible in the morning sky. Is that correct? Well, Mercury is in the evening sky. Isn't oh, it? Mercury will be evening. Okay, good. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, because it's uh, it's kind of coming around uh, now, and uh, yeah, the moon is coming, starting to come up uh, in in the evening. So yeah, that's that's when uh, it's uh, it's going to compare it. I, I looked <laughs> I looked up Mercury on the second. I got Mercury in the second house, Vedic something all this weird stuff. Um, that's not what we're doing here. Uh, no, Mercury is, is going to be in the evening sky and it's going to be sitting, uh, just a little bit above the moon, but this is very, very low, like chain. People are going to have to be extremely careful, I think, unless it's come back around, but these are basically getting really, really close, um, to, to the sun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is always a little, a little risky. So you do have to use a little bit of care when putting optics near the sun like that. Yeah. Just trying to look this up really, uh, really quick. I'm man, I'm getting all kinds of strange hits when I um, try to look things up. So I'm just not going to do that while we're recording the show. Um, on May 4th, which will be Wednesday for us, uh, the bright minor planet series is going to be 0.01 degrees North of the moon. Oh, that's that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's occultations in some areas, um, yeah. but not here. And I I'm I don't have my usually I have my observer's handbook here uh, that I was I was reading this in, but I, I think maybe for uh, some areas in South America, um, I think that it's an occultation. So I know we do have listeners down in that area of the world, so uh, folks should uh, should look that up. I know it's not here um, in, in sort of, uh, central Canada and central U S but, uh, 
I know that in some areas of the world, I feel like maybe Africa was in there too. So yeah, folks are listening. They, they should look it up. It's going to be really close. Um, but yeah, that's 0.01 degrees north of the moon for Ceres on Wednesday, May 4th. Um, maybe, maybe before we get too much further along, I always like to give a bit of a primer on, on the business of, of degrees because um, this goes out on the uh, 365 days of astronomy. I want to make sure that people are familiar with uh, what, what a degree is in the sky. And, and Shane, when we talk about degrees on the sky and how far apart things are, uh, how can people figure this out for themselves and orient them, themselves if, uh, if they never really try to figure out how far apart stuff is in, in the night sky before? Well, we always talk about the, uh, the fist at arm's length. So if you make a closed fist with your hand and if you hold it out at arm's length, the width of your fist, you know, from knuckle to knuckle, um, is 10 degrees and it is a fairly standard measurement because we're all built kind of proportionately the same. So, yep. you know, if you have longer arms, you usually have a, a bit of a wider hand. And if you have shorter arms, your hand isn't quite as wide. So it's a, it's a good measurement, uh, to kind of give you a rough idea of what 10 degrees looks like. Um, yeah, so that one is, is pretty common. Yeah. So, uh, so this is just a measure on, on the night sky. And uh, so, so you know that uh, 10 degrees is, uh, is pretty wide. And if you held your hand out and went from horizon to overhead, that'd be 90 degrees. And that if you uh, just held it up and you saw some planets that were pretty close and it was um, about half of your fist or less or approaching half of your fist, then um, like between the two uh, objects, whether it's the moon and the planet or whatever, that's going to be five degrees and five degrees is sort of a magical number because anything about five degrees and narrower is going to fit nicely in most uh, binoculars, won't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, just to kind of extrapolate beyond that, if you hold up three fingers, that's about five degrees and then one finger is about one degree. Yeah. And you can kind of, once you get the fist down though, and the, the thing I always do in my astronomy classes is try to get people focused on, on the fist and there are all, there is all kinds of other different measurements, but I, I always feel like once people get the fist it's 10 degrees on the sky, when they hold it up arm's length, um, they can kind of sort of figure everything else out pretty easily, but yeah, you're, you're right. You can use your, your pinky finger as, um, a degree or something like that, but uh, but yeah, they can kind of they can kind of start there and work their way through. And then sometimes we mention magnitude. Magnitude is is the brightest of of uh, uh, brightness of the stars and and planets and that sort of thing. So so uh, let's see, Shane. If something was magnitude um, negative one, is that really bright or really faint? That is quite bright. Uh, definitely naked eye bright. It's, it's one of the, in fact, negative one would be one of the brightest things in the sky. Yeah. I think the sun is like negative 26. So that's way too bright. You don't want to look yeah. at that. And I think the moon is what negative 12 when it's full. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So it's sort of uncomfortably bright through uh, even just, just looking at it with your eye or through any kind of uh, optical instrument. Of course, the moon is safe to look at, but uh, as long as it's far away from the sun, um, and then planets like planet Venus then can get up into that negative one range. And then, and then Jupiter, which is, which is still a pretty bright planet, I think can hang out at about that uh, positive one range. Mm -hmm. And then let's see, how about uh, positive? Uh, let's see, positive five is positive five, uh, sort of brighter or fainter than these other things. 
Well, that's, that's getting fainter. So the magnitude scale is a little wonky that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, positive five magnitude, that's getting to the threshold of what you could probably see in a light polluted city. In fact, mm-hmm. you might not even see some of those stars, depending on how light polluted, um, your sky is, but, uh, certainly any fainter than that. And, and you're definitely heading to dark skies to see it. Yeah. Or, or having to use a good pair of binoculars or a small telescope mm-hmm. to, uh, to pull it out. Yeah. And like you were saying that the magnitude scale can be kind of wonky. I think it was invented by some of the ancient Greeks, uh, around two or three millennia ago. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, that's why, you know, they, they were just trying to get things going and, uh, seems like we've just stuck with it ever since, uh, never uh, made any modifications to it much other than to add stuff in. And, uh, yeah, it certainly causes a lot of confusion for people that are just getting going because you find out something like, the minor planet. I'm going to say this right. Have you ever heard of this one before? This asteroid, Egeria? Egeria? Hmm. No, I'm not familiar with that one. Well, it's at opposition and it's going to be magnitude 9.9 <laughs> on May 4th. So okay. what kind of instrument would you need to see an asteroid or minor planet that's at magnitude 9.9, Shane? How would you go about tracking that down? Um, I would use a small telescope, um, you know, a 60 millimeter telescope, I think mm. would be great for that Yeah, um, or larger. Um, yep. and I think, uh, I don't know, would, would 10 by fifties get that 10 by 50 binoculars from a dark site. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. dark site. Yeah. And, uh, what would, uh, what would this look like if you were looking at it through, uh, through a telescope from the city or maybe binoculars from a more rural location? Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a good question. So, when you're looking at these minor planets, um, don't expect to see really any kind of shape or detail. Essentially what they'll look like is a star. They'll look like a point of light. Um, now the, one of the best ways to that, I think anyway, to observe uh, these minor planets, um, is, is to sketch it. So where, where you think it's located in your star field, sketch it as well as the stars around it. And then come back in a, a few hours or the next day you know, to that same area of the sky and just see if what you thought was the minor planet has moved in association to the background stars. Uh, if it has, uh, you know, boom, you've, you've observed it. If it hasn't, well, you, you know, you're just looking at a star. So, hmm. so that's probably the, one of the better ways to look for these things. Cool. And uh, like, I was just kind of looking around, it says it's a G-type asteroid. I know you know a little bit more about these sort of objects than I do because you're a bit of a meteorite collector, but off the top of your head, like I had to look it up, but you know, so it's, it's a bit of a pop quiz, but I didn't know. I, I just looked it up. Do, do you know what a G-type asteroid is off the top of your head? Or <laughs> No, okay. no, this, this is uh, beyond my field of research. I yeah. uh, don't <laughs> yeah. know a lot about these your uh, area of asteroids. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we are amateur astronomers and we prove that in every episode. So yeah, <laughs> I, I looked that up and yeah, it's kind of interesting because we were talking about Ceres uh, a few minutes ago and uh, Ceres is, is uh, I think it's the largest minor planet and it's going to be 0.1 degrees, 0.01 degrees north of the moon on May 4th. Um, but Agiria is also uh, a, a G-type asteroid like Ceres. And uh, these asteroids are relatively uncommon. They are uh, carbonaceous asteroids and they make up only 5% of all asteroids. Hmm, pretty so there rare. You go. Yeah. Do you have any carbonaceous meteorites? Uh, I would have to check. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I want, no, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Mm. I don't, 
you know, if it's only 5% of all asteroids, I'm guessing I don't, because that sounds pretty rare, but mm. yeah, yeah. It was discovered by, and I'm going to really embarrass myself, try to say this name. So it was discovered on November 2nd, 1850 by de Gasperis or de Gaperis. Yeah. Yeah. It works for me. <laughs> it's like spelt like gas Paris, G-A-S-P-A-R-I-S. So I'm probably saying that, uh, Incorrectly, uh, Jiria was uh, also named after the mythical nymph uh, of Aresia and named by Leverrier, whose calculations. So Leverrier is, is known for um, doing the calculations that eventually led to the discovery of Neptune. So the guy who did the calculations that led to the discovery of Neptune uh, named uh, this asteroid. So kind of a little bit of interesting history there for those sort of folks that enjoy that kind of stuff like I do. Yeah, interesting. So on May 6th, we've got uh, a meteor shower coming up, uh, the Eta Aquarid. Have you ever looked at the Eta Aquarid meteor shower before? You know, just about any meteor shower, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't make any attempt to go out and observe them. Um, I, However, I've been out many times observing during meteor showers, and when that happens, I, I take them in. But uh, I have been out uh, when this one's been active in the past. I like this one. This, this one's kind of neat because, uh, well, I, as you know, I like to get up in the mornings and go observing. And, uh, and when we get into spring, like I was up this morning observing as we get into spring, it, uh, it you know, it's really nice to get up and like you said, trying to take advantage of the uh, last, uh, few weeks of good dark skies that we have here at 50 degrees North. And, uh, yeah, it's really neat to watch these ones come in. I I've, gotten up to see them before they're really fast meteorites um they travel at speeds and i, I did look this up and uh, they travel at speeds of up to 66 uh kilometers uh per second as they enter the earth's atmosphere so that's super quick yeah that is fast um the, the this meteor shower does have a place in my heart um one of the first memories i have of like an astronomical event uh, was the return of Halley's Comet in the 80s. Mm. And I remember, uh, I think I might even still have like an old astronomy magazine related to that. Mm. And uh, this meteor shower is uh, associated with Halley's Comet because, uh, well, just like any meteor shower, um, really what you're seeing is like the the leftovers or, or like the kind of the material left behind by a comet that traveled through our solar system, but just happens to intersect Earth's orbit. So as Earth passes through this dust and debris that the comet left behind, that, that debris gets sucked into Earth's atmosphere because of gravity and then burns up and hence meteors. You, you're mm -hmm. seeing all of this dust and debris um, uh, really burning up in our atmosphere. Um, so just because this one is associated to Halley's Comet, and that's like I say, my first real memory of a notable astronomical event, um, you know, this, this has a special place to me. Yeah. Same with the uh, Orionids in October. I think they're also uh, associated with uh, Halley's Comet. Yeah. 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 One's like the kind of the entry and I think one's the exit. Yeah, exactly. I don't know which is which though. Do you? No, I don't actually. That's a good yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. Good, good point. Good point. Wonder where it was going faster. I'm guessing that's where these ones come from. All right. So May 8th, we're going to have the Lunar X uh, visible. I think this is more in, 
in sort of our area and west of here. Um, so what okay. is the lunar what is the lunar X chain and and what can people see when they when they take a look for the lunar X? Well, so the lunar X is not uh, an actual object on the moon. It's what's known as a clair obscure effect, meaning it's a shadow play. And with all of the contour on the moon, whether it's you know mountain ranges or craters or ridges, uh, it, there, there's a lot of different things there. But depending on the angle that it that the moon is to the sun, different parts of the moon are illuminated or cast in shadow. And the lunar X is one of these shadow plays. So uh, at certain times of the month, um, the way the, the sun illuminates the moon, you, you can see the, what appears to be an X um, and it's right along the terminator. So the terminator is where um, kind of the, like when the moon is in different phases, that's the, the line between the dark part of the moon and the illuminated part of the moon. And uh, when the lunar X is visible, you'll, you'll see like the dark part of the moon, but then there'll be sort of a bright X that just is on the kind of just on the side of the dark part there. And, uh, it's super cool to see. And on the same night, if you look a little bit, uh, I guess, yeah. If you look North of the X, there's also a lunar V visible whenever mm -hmm. the, the X is there. So it's two interesting effects to see. And, uh, um, I never grow tired of it. Um, and, and the lunar X, while it's not a rare thing to see, cause it does happen every month, the timing of it sometimes just doesn't align to make it visible to you. So sometimes the lunar X is only visible during the daytime, you know, for example, depending where you live. So, um, you know, if it's visible here in North America, my assumption, I think is that you're probably, you know, you're not able to see it this month potentially, yeah. or at least not on the eighth. Yeah. Now everybody wants to know, are there pirates on the moon? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've, I've never been to the moon, so I can't confirm nor deny. Yeah. They, maybe, maybe there's treasure buried there. there X marks people, the spot. Yeah. yeah. X marks the spot. Uh, the next night, May 9th, uh, I think in also Western North America, we have the lunar straight wall visible. Now this is like some sort of escarpment or something like that, or, or is it also a bit of a shadow play? Uh, it's a little bit of a shadow play. Um, now it's a, it's a bit of a ridge, I think, and it's quite long, like hundreds of kilometers long. Um, but when, when it's not like when the, the sun isn't casting a shadow from this ridge, it's very difficult to see, or I shouldn't say difficult. It's just, it doesn't jump out. Now, when the lunar straight wall is visible, it looks like a real straight line, like somebody almost took a Sharpie on a picture of the moon and just drew a line. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's kind of neat to see. I, I like that one a lot through uh, a telescope. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask is, so for the lunar X and the lunar straight wall, like what would you need to see them on the moon? Well, I think you're definitely needing a telescope um, or high power, higher powered binoculars. Um you know, maybe what I'll try this month, Chris, I've never actually tried it with my 12 by 36 binoculars, but if it's oh, clear yeah, on, on May the 8th, I, I should give it a try with those to see if it's visible. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. It, it's not a huge feature, um, but I've easily seen it like in 60 millimeter telescopes. It's, yeah. uh, it's quite visible. Yeah. I was trying to remember if, if I've seen it in binoculars, I know I've seen it in my 60 millimeter, but I couldn't remember. And in fact, I, I, when when Dave Chapman, who was the person who uh, sort of re rediscovered it years ago, we, we were camping together and he had a 70 millimeter on it. I, I think that's what he was using when he kind of sort of re-ran across it, uh, had been sort of uh, originally uh, 
uh, talked about uh, decades prior, um, but he kind of sort of re, uh, re realigned in interest in it. Um, but anyway, he was using, I think, just a 70 millimeter telescope. So you don't need something big. And I think the lunar straight wall is about the same. I, I think I've seen that in my 60 millimeter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you're right. The, the the straight wall is is the larger feature than the X, but I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm yeah, I'm curious to to find out if I can see them through binoculars. So if it's clear out uh, this week, I'll certainly try. Yeah, and uh, let's see. On May 16th, we're going to have a full moon, but there's also going to be a lunar eclipse, which can be seen in its entirety from Eastern North America. But here in, in Central North America, we will see it uh, rise just before the full eclipse occurs here in Saskatchewan anyway. And then uh, if you get much west of here, I think if you get west of our province, uh, you'll see it rise uh, in full eclipse. Hmm. You know, so one of the neat things about our province, uh, Chris, is just how flat things are here. <laughs> and, and we we can see all of the horizon here, you know, if you just get out of the city and get away from some buildings. Uh, so what will be kind of neat about this eclipse for us is just seeing a moon rise, but a moon that is mostly in eclipse already and probably a, a very different color. Um, you know, moon, a moon rising, uh, you know, just in and of itself usually takes on a little bit of an orangey color, uh, due to yeah. the atmosphere there. So to have it also in eclipse, um, I'm intrigued. I am, I'm, I'm wondering what this will look like. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite intrigued as well, because as it, as it's rising, it's not quite in full eclipse yet. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to get into all the technicalities of it. Cause you know, we don't want to lose people and we're trying to make this approachable, but there's, there's two parts to the lunar shadow. There's, there's an outer part or sorry, to the earth's shadow. There's an outer part, which is kind of like a bit of a graying uh, region. And then there's this, this inner part, which is, is that area that can cause the, uh, the moon to go sort of a more copper or reddish color as, uh, as it passes through. And uh, now the, the moon will be fully in uh, that outer sort of graying shadow, but that really doesn't impact the visibility of the moon uh, that much. Um, but I think about two thirds of the moon will be inside that, that inner portion. So I'm really curious to see what it looks like as it rises that night, um, because it, it, some of the moon will still be visible to us, Shane. So it's not, it's not as if we won't see any moon rise and then eventually it will become visible because I've seen the moon go into eclipse and set and it's virtually impossible to see uh, at least for me anyway, an, an eclipse moon, when it gets within, I don't know, like 10 or 15 degrees of the horizon or whatever it was, it just kind of, it, it's so dim that it just sort of blends into the uh, background sky, especially at dusk or mm -hmm. dawn in, in, in the case that I'm thinking about. But, uh, but this time we're going to have a little bit of moon left and, uh, should be able to, I think we should be able to pick that up as it's rising. It should look very, very weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just looking back at our, our backlog of episodes. And I think in episode 171, I think we talk a little bit more about the details of lunar eclipses too. So mm. if you want some of those technical definitions and explanations, maybe have a listen to that old episode. And I think we get into it there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really good idea. It's hard, hard to believe we're into, we're almost to episode like, uh, uh you know, get, getting into the, the mid 200s here now, which is, uh, pretty surprising, but yeah, uh, love lunar eclipses. So that this is like a great month for me because mm -hmm. these sort of things, um, like meteor showers, lunar eclipses, 
um, you know, just seeing the planets, uh, you know, pairing up in the sky. That that's how I really get into astronomy um, because it's really easy, um, really easy to figure out. And kind of once you start seeing some of these things, um, seeing some of the more complicated stuff uh, comes a little bit more uh, easier, right? Yeah, yeah, it really does. And um, yeah, it's a great month. This is an exciting time for me when we really get back to observing um, and and start to have all of these pretty cool opportunities. Yeah, one of the other neat opportunities that's going to come up is uh, is all these planet moon yeah. uh, pairings. And on the, the next night on me or the next morning, I should say. So the the evening of uh, of uh, May sixteenth. I mean that that's when we're going to actually. It's May fifteenth. I think the evening. It's the evening of the 15th. We see it uh, rise. And then it's just, I think it's, uh, it's before midnight that we see the full eclipse, but it's, uh, it's still eclipsed by, by midnight um, on the 16th. So it's, I, I believe it's the 15th that people would want to go out here. And, uh, and then on the 17th, so two nights later, Mars uh, in the morning, Mars on the morning of the 17th of May is going to be uh, just over half a degree south of Neptune. So people can see uh, that paired up quite nicely. Yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be a really neat observation. Well, all of these coming up here are going to be super cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's one of the, one of the challenging parts when you're getting into astronomy, sometimes you'll see these dates you can, you can hear me sort of stumble over my words still. And, uh, and, and you have to watch the time of this and the time of some of these other events. So if we say it's in the evening, um, so even though um, for many places, the main uh, part of the eclipse is going to be occurring or more of the eclipse will be visible after midnight. So they say it's on the 16th. That's not the next night. It's May 15th that you want to head out and take a look for uh, for the eclipse moon rising if you're here kind of in central uh, North America like we are. And then you'd be able to follow it into the early morning hours of the 16th. Uh, that's kind of how that works. And then uh, on May 17th, that's where you're getting up early in the morning and taking a look uh, for Mars and Neptune uh, through a little telescope or uh, maybe binoculars. Because I think Mars is fairly high now in the morning sky, isn't it? Uh, I'm not too sure, to be honest. Uh, yeah, it's getting up the, there. You know how I am. Waking up in the morning sky just is not how I do it. So, so honestly, I don't pay a lot of attention. Yeah. So I, you know, I do like to get up in the morning and, uh, you know, I, I, I like that the one good thing about where my place is, is it's not good for deep sky observing, but for seeing these sort of things with the planets lining up, it's perfect. I can just mm-hmm. basically one step out my door and I have a very good view to the, uh, uh, to the east and to the southeast and to the northeast, and uh, so I can see all these these morning alignments and and keep a good sixty millimeter, very small portable telescope handy. And like I did today, I'll be getting up on these mornings and plunking it out and seeing uh, what I can see up there. Yeah, awesome. All right, May twenty second. Again, this is going to be in the morning sky. We have uh, Saturn just four degrees north of the moon. And it's off last quarter moon on uh, on May 22nd as well, uh, pairing nicely with Saturn. So Shane, the one thing I like to do when I'm teaching astronomy classes is use these sort of pairings to help uh, people identify the objects that they're seeing. Because one of the things, and you've experienced this as well, we go out and we're showing stuff to people in the sky and we say, well, this is this and this is that, this planet or this galaxy or whatever people say, well, how do you know that's it? 
Mm-hmm. And you say, well, you know, we learn over time, and but they're, they're not understanding. There is a bit of a learning process there. And this is kind of one of those processes so that we know on this night, that's when the moon will be close to Saturn. And when you look at Saturn, we all know what Saturn looks like through a telescope. Well, there you go. That's, uh, that's Saturn, only four degrees north of the moon. So by four degrees, that means that you can see it in binoculars. You can see Saturn and the moon in binoculars on the morning of the 22nd at the same time pretty cool to be able to see that. Yeah, for sure it is. 24th of May, Mars is going to be three degrees north of the moon. And the moon that night is going to have the Curtis X visible, which from what I understand is very similar to like the lunar X. Hmm. I don't think I've observed the Curtis X before, so I might have to give that a go. Yeah. So people can see the, the Mars uh, the planet Mars, just three degrees north of the moon on the morning of May 24th. And then on the morning of May 25th, Jupiter will be just three degrees north of the moon. And of course, what's happening as the moon moves night to night to night, it moves, you know, like just over about a fist length throughout the, throughout the course of a day. And so by the following morning, it's moved to pair up with Jupiter. So each of these planets is about the same distance apart as the moon moves on night-to-night basis, which really gives you a feeling of kind of how this sort of celestial show kind of all plays out throughout the year. But of course, uh, oftentimes we don't have the the planets or anything else to kind of uh, allow us to make that mark because typically it's just the moon and maybe there's some stars around or whatever. But with these bright planets, you really get to see them line up. And then on the morning of May 27th is a really neat show because Venus is just about a quarter of a degree north of the moon. So it's very, very close. And in fact, I I think on the 27th, um, there's an occultation somewhere. And then on May 28th, Uranus is just 0.3 degrees north of the moon. And I think there's an occultation in like Africa. Um, But for us, we we don't get that opportunity. But uh, on the 27th, Venus uh, it's going to be very close to the moon. That's going to look spectacular in maybe even just with your eye alone, you'll be able to see it. Yeah. And then on the 28th, you would definitely need a telescope. Yeah. To see uh, Uranus. But um, you know, the cool thing about that is, is Uranus is a little harder to find uh, because it's a little fainter. So when it's right. got that anchor of the moon, uh, you know, basically if you have the moon in your field of view, you're going to see uh, Uranus that night. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then on May 29th, Mars is going to be just 0.6 degrees south of Jupiter. So they're going to be very, very close uh, in the morning sky. I think we're out observing that night. We're scheduled to to do observing that that, that morning together. So maybe we'll be able um, to see that. We might be observing the morning of the 28th as well. Maybe we'll see Uranus and the moon. It'd be kind of neat to to see Uranus uh, and the moon on the 28th, on the morning of the 28th, and then Mars and Jupiter on the morning of uh, May 29th. Of course, they're going to be close, um, Mars and, and Jupiter, for a number of days on either side. So hopefully we'll we'll get a chance to, uh, to see that. And then on May 30th, we have the new moon. So that's why we're heading out uh, to do some observing together towards the, the end of May there. Um, and yeah, should be uh, should be a pretty fun time. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple comments. Um, number one is just a reminder too, that, uh, 2022 is an opposition year for Mars. So every two years, Mars gets closer to earth in its orbit and it becomes a, a really good, uh, object to observe through amateur telescopes. 
Um, so Mars is not super large at this point in time, but basically every day it's getting closer. So it's going to grow in size. And uh, a neat observation project is to start observing Mars early in the year, like now, and then just watch as it changes and reaches opposition sometime in December, uh, which means, uh, you know, at that point, it'll appear largest and uh, uh, it'll, you know, there's a lot of detail that you can tease out of Mars, but, um, you know, you may have to wait until later in the year to really start observing some of the surface features. Uh, However, it's a fun project. Yeah. I think the, the the opposition is what uh, the ninth of December or something like that. It's, yeah, it's I can't, that time. can't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then just the other comment I wanted to make is is uh, you know Chris and I will be in Grasslands National Park East Block uh, that uh, new moon weekend. So if you're if you happen to be there, you have to be just say driving hi. through the <laughs> vacant desert of southern uh, southern <laughs> yeah. Saskatchewan, <laughs> please join us. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Nobody's coming. No, nope. um, maybe, maybe a few people will come actually. I know I heard from one or two people, maybe they'll, they'll make it down. That would be, uh, that would be pretty, pretty fun, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty far, um, for just about uh, anybody except for us. And it's still like a three and a half hour drive. So, uh, good stuff. Yeah, that that's exciting. Yeah. Some good points there. I'm pretty excited to see, uh, this Mars opposition. Of course, like this is the and this will be the second Mars opposition that that we're heading towards since we started this uh, this podcast. So that's kind of mm-hmm. like hard to believe in a way. Yeah, yeah. The um, when we kicked off this podcast, the timing was kind of lucky in that regard that Mars was uh, was nearing opposition. And I tell you, uh, you and I had some incredible observations during that uh, uh, opposition. That was the best one for me that I've ever uh, observed, and uh, just. Yeah, I like even seeing some of the like clouds on Mars, you know, like I remember we both had some observations yeah. of uh, like equatorial clouds, uh, yeah. like, you know, just incredible stuff you can see. And, and it's such a dynamic planet that you just, you, you never know when some of that type of stuff is going to, to make itself visible. So I'm super excited for, uh, for this opposition. Yeah. Yeah. I am as well. I know that I started to be able to see detail in July, kind of like the second week of July and we were at a October opposition then. So that was like August, September, October, so about three months before. So this time we're going to be um, like uh, September, October, November, December. So probably around mid September is when, uh, when we'll really uh, begin to uh, to start to see some decent uh, detail in our, in our small telescopes anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, and, and then throughout that time over, over leading up to, uh, leading up to that, uh, opposition date. And then, um, for about a you know, month and a half or so after, um, that will probably be about the best time to, uh, to get the views of Mars in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Winter, uh, Mars observing though, really, um, not my favorite. So I will, I will be observing it sooner than later, uh, for sure, because, uh, yeah, those those December timeframes are going to be some pretty quick looks. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Anything else to uh, to add to this episode, Gene? No, that's everything. All right. Well, thanks, Gene. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we're always excited to get your observing reports via email to actualastronomy at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, thanks again, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, 
would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <music>